Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show is coming to you from my sumptuous balcony here in Las Vegas, Nevada, the hottest city in America. Fortunately, not the hottest city today. We are a From the Field podcast. That means that in my journey as a laptop lifestyle entrepreneur, I take you to the places where you have some of those most profound discoveries and encounter those people with whom you have those conversations that either change your life or give you insight that you never saw coming that transforms your journey. Perhaps you're at the coffee shop, the cigar shop. Maybe you're at the networking function after the seminar. Could be you're at an outdoor cafe. Maybe you're at the park. Maybe you're driving. Maybe you hear birds chirping in the background, the occasional driving by of a vehicle on the distant road. Maybe you hear a little bit of ambient noise, a little bit of laughter from the table beside you. These are the things you hear when you have these conversations, and I take you out, and we have those conversations in those places. But today, we're out on the balcony enjoying a very nice spring day, and joining us is Dr. Nadia Brown. She's going to share with us on why courage may be the most critical sales quality we need. Let me just tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Nadia Brown is a sales strategist, consultant, trainer, and founder of the Doyen Agency a sales agency that works with business owners, companies, and corporations to multiply revenue and awaken the consistent closer within your sales team using the consistent sales method. Nadia brings over 15 years of experience in leadership, powerful conversations, achieving goals and respect for people to develop a comprehensive sales process to increase closing rates and satisfied client retention. Nadia's clients have seen massive results such as raising their rates, decreasing their refund requests, and doubling or tripling their annual revenues, including helping clients increase their yearly revenue by 800%. Hey, I could always use another 800. I don't know about you. Dr. Nadia Brown, come on in. The weather's fine. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Pleasure's all mine. Now, I just read off your official bio. and With everything I read, I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. Before we get into this whole thing about courage and sales, What we like to do here is I read off the official bio, and then we take a little bit of a journey. So I'm going to ask you, Nadia, tell us a bit in your own words about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. (laughs) Great question. Um, One is when I first left corporate to launch out into the waters of uh, full-time entrepreneurship, um... I was lacking one critical skill and that was sales. And so through that journey, the highs, the lows, the 
major disappointments <laughs> in that um, I decided that once I figured it out for myself that I wanted to go back and help others, particularly service-based entrepreneurs. I feel like there's a lot of support there and really putting a dollar amount to your craft and being able to offer it to the right people. And so that's why now I'm so passionate about supporting those business owners and being able to sell confidently um, and effectively in their businesses. Why is everybody so scared? Oh my God. You know, we have a lot of stories going on, right? And so, and I think as creators, we are very protective of our ideas and our our offers. And so it feels very personal. Um, No matter how many times someone says it's not personal, it feels personal. Oh, it certainly is. And (laughs) those rejections that are supposedly nothing personal sometimes come across as nothing but. Exactly. (laughs) And you're like, if this isn't personal, then why do I feel so crummy right now? (laughs) You know, it's then you go through that entire sales process. And you think you have them hooked. And then at the last second, they say, oh, well, I don't actually have money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no wonder people get a little gun shy about this. It's like, why even go through the process when you don't even know if it's going to go anywhere? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. That's why people are afraid or like you said, gun shy. Well, let's go beyond that. Uh, what do you think, if you think, you think there's something in the way we're programmed through, say, our education and our experiences. And what do you see in your work helping people with this being some of the most common themes that are stopping them, slowing them down, or holding them back from being able to have confidence when it comes to sales? Oh, my gosh. That's a loaded question. Adam. Well, I'm, well I'm, I'm loaded. We certainly have the time here. Well, um, well, one thing I think, and it's funny, I... Um, I had a conversation yesterday somewhat to this is most of us haven't been taught sales. And so there's that. Um, You just don't realize that it's an actual skill that you can learn and become proficient at. Um, I think the other thing is a lot of us are bringing in the baggage from being the buyer and having a negative sales experience. You know, I think any, any of us could share a story after story of where, there may have been an opportunity, no matter what you were buying, and you just came across that salesperson that you guys just did not gel, whether they you felt they were pushy or you just felt like they were annoying, they weren't listening, whatever the case may be. And so we bring those experiences with us to the table when it's our turn to now basically trade spots with that person and be become the salesperson. Um, sales is not necessarily the most considered the most honorable profession. So when you think about sales, it brings up all these negative connotations. And so now yet you're a business owner. And when you're first starting out, a lot of times you are also the salesperson. You're like every person on the team. And so now you're faced with how do I share about how I can support people in a way where I obviously can generate sales and revenue for my business, but and also in a way that works because we don't like those rejections. Um, and in a way that aligns with my values, my integrity, my personality, you know, my skill set. And so the, all of that is just a mixed bag that, that I see when people come into that role or that position or like, okay, I need to figure out this sales thing. Well, I think some stories we can just, if we really want to be objective, we can just learn to laugh at. Yes. I 
when I first graduated from undergrad, my first quote unquote real job was working as a recruiter for a temporary staffing agency, which I found out was actually basically being in sales. sales. Now I'm not going to get into uh, it being the year 2000 and working for a company that only had one computer that was on dial-up, but I think you can probably fill in a lot of blank space on that. Well, the company I worked for had a reputation for being really good at teaching people sales, Mm. but very bad at retaining them. In fact, the other 20-some companies in the market that I was serving that did the same type of thing, most of their employees were alumni of this company where I worked for eight months and 16 days, not that I was counting. <laughs> in fact, when I was trying to break into that industry, a couple of folks said, hey, have, have you interviewed with so-and-so firm? And I said, well, actually, I do have a conversation open with them. They said, if they offer you a job, take it. Find a way to last a year or as close as you can, and then call me after they fire you. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Which I, which after that happened, I was in the process of doing. And I ran into this one firm that attempted to recruit me to be one of their recruiters. And I sat down with them and I did not like their vibe at all. So it was one of those very rare cases that me in the year 2000, who really did not have the testicular fortitude to say no to anything, which is part of my problem. I actually said, thank you, but uh, I'd like to discontinue the process now. Well, they called me the next day uh, telling me that they were really disappointed and that I should definitely come back for another interview, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Well, long story short. What they were trying to do is get a list from me of the people who currently work from that firm that I worked for for eight months and 16 days because they wanted to poach them. Wow. And I said, uh, I said, yeah, I think the I think the owners of those that company are real sons of bitches and I'd love to see them fail, but I'm not going to conspire in a crime against them. So you're going to have to find somebody else to do your dirty work. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. So the reason I bring that up is stories like that, you can just set aside and say, yeah, there are some real scummy people out there. That's Mm -hmm. just the way it is. Mm -hmm. But then you get into these situations where you get... It's not so blatant. It's, and again, we're still talking about being on the receiving end of a sales pitch Mm -hmm. where you have good reasons for declining it. Maybe your, your decline is not even no, it's just not right now. Yes. You know, there is a such thing as truly not having the money. Mm -hmm. And whenever I hear somebody, like if I say I don't have the money and they start asking about whether I have credit cards or what balance I have on them, that's a conversation ender right there. Yep. I will not do that to somebody and I will not have that done to me. I've seen that tactic and I can see why that creates fear because if Mm -hmm. somebody has to endure hardship in order to work with me, I do not want them as a client. Yes. I, in one, at one point I waited 14 months for somebody to be in a financial position to be ready to work with me. Yes. And it was worth that wait because when they entered into the relationship, they were in a position where they didn't have to run up debt to do it. Yeah. And it's true. And they're also, when you look at it through that lens, they also can show up differently, right? Like if they had made that sacrifice 14 months earlier when they were not in that financial position to do so, 
they would not have shown up to do the work that you two got the opportunity to do together in the same headspace. They would have been stressed. They would have been distracted. There would have been a chance of default and, you know, that impacting your relationship, like all the things that people don't necessarily think about when they're in that, let's just get the sale now. Like today is the only day that this can happen. And you don't look at the bigger picture. Yeah. So I think that right there is part of it. And another thing that I see folks do, and I think this is where we actually have a courage issue. I've thought about this and I was thinking about this before you came onto the show here. I see so often in sales training and marketing training, the strategic, and I put that in air quotes, application of discounts for human rendered services, (laughs) which I am not a big fan of at all. Mm -hmm. So why, especially when it comes to consulting or coaching or something where human beings build something or create something, why would you ever even consider discounting that? Because all you're doing is cutting into the margin of being able to satisfy a human being's intrinsic needs to be rewarded for good work. Oh my gosh, Adam, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> well, we well we have up to an hour here, so we have certainly time to dive in here. Yes. We don't have to stick to one topic. So yes. let's go, so let's go with this for for a bit. First of all, where do we even come up with the idea that discounting is a good idea? I have another I have another method that doesn't involve taking money off, but let's start there. Where is this where does this discounting come from to begin with? I don't know. I don't know if we get it from the product world. Um, I think part of it, though, is people don't know their numbers. Like they really genuinely have not taken the time to really evaluate. Like you said, people are performing this service. They deserve and should be compensated. And have you really taken into account what that looks like when you start to take money off and then it impacts your bottom line. And I think that's where a lot of people get in trouble because they're just out here doing stuff, just trying to get some number um, or some sales goal or some vanity metric when they're not looking at the bottom line. They're not really understanding what's going on in their own business until it all falls apart. And you're like, wait, great. We had this amount of sales and I've seen it. They get in this amount of however many sales they get. It sounds great on social media. <laughs> like we had right. this amazing six-figure launch. Uh-huh. And then you get behind the scenes and you have all these people that you have to pay out. And then it's like, well, how much money did you have left over? And are you going to have the courage to really evaluate your sales process and how you approach these things? And have a better understanding of your numbers so that you can actually have a profitable, sustainable business, because that's where a lot of people get in trouble. I think that I think there's certainly something to that. And I think you make a good point that a lot of it may come from the product world. And a lot of discounts in the product world are fake as well. For example, so-called Black Friday sales. Companies spend six months gradually raising their prices. So they can offer a quote unquote discount on Black Friday. If there's something you want the day after Thanksgiving, you might as well just buy it in June. Right. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I think we just bought into the frenzy um, 
of just creating all this, and like you said, dishonesty, if we're honest about it, in our marketing and sales. And so how do you not do that? How do you not fall into that trap? And I think it's really just having the courage to say, you know what, this is the investment to work with me, period. We're not discounting it. We're not offering any types of specials. You may add bonuses. Like I love to give extra stuff. There There you go. go. There you go. See, that's, (laughs) yeah, see that, that's the strategy that I advocate is don't decrease the price, but you can always add a little bit of value. Mm -hmm. And what may be a little bit of work to you could be a huge benefit to somebody else. Yes. So let's say, for example, you have a body of knowledge and you take a couple days, you put on a headset, fire up your Camtasia, you record all of it and make a course out of it. So part of your added value can be access to a course where you do a data dump of the same thing you would repeat 25 times anyway. Mm -hmm. That is something you only have to create once, but you can deliver as a massive value add on over and over and over again. Yep. A little over a year ago, when I launched the podcast reach system as a surface, as a service, I allowed people to tell me, oh, there's no way that you're, you're, VIP level clients are going to want to watch videos about how to create their avatars or design their taglines or things like that. They're going to want you to do it on Zoom calls with them. So I tried it that way. And you know what you want to know what the feedback I got was? (laughs) I'd rather watch it on video. (laughs) Hey, by any chance, have you ever thought about putting this all in a video that I could watch? Yeah. (laughs) So there's there's one example. Another example is you can always add an extra coaching call. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, 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 how, how hard is it to, to sit on the phone or Zoom for a half hour? Yes. You don't, you, don't ha- you don't have to be in your official office. I mean, look at, look at us right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're here uh, recording an episode of this podcast. I'm sitting out on my balcony outdoors. You probably hear a little bit of ambient noise in the background. Uh, you don't want to see my posture or how I'm dressed or what I look like right now. So that's why that's one of the many reasons why this is audio only. And Nadia, I have no idea what the hell you're drinking, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I do that on purpose. I think about the original definition of the term podcast. Now, there's a debate where the term podcast actually comes from. I tend to align with the version where it derives from the term iPod, which was a device that came out about 15 years ago, right about the point where technology evolved to where it was simple to deliver audio files. So people started, instead of just doing written blogs, they started doing audio blogs. Mm -hmm. That's the genesis of podcasting. So podcast based on the word iPod, audio format. So the idea of a video podcast to me is nothing more than a form of pure bastardization. There's also the fact that I don't, it is a, an imperative in my personal and business lifestyle that I never be pinned to one specific place that I have to do anything. So the idea of having a studio that I, that (laughs) I have to be in to record these episodes, that ain't happening. So I don't want to deal with the 25 different backgrounds that I could possibly have. Also, if I'm going to be having a conversation for any period of time, particularly when we're going to go deep into subjects, I don't want to have to hold a media pose for an hour. <laughs> exactly. You know how uncomfortable that is? And then there's the science. And yeah, I'm quoting science behind why people get zoomed out. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me share a little bit about this. And this is what may also be impacting people's ability to sell these days. Ever since the bug hit two years ago, everybody's moved to things like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Skype, and what have you. And there's all of a sudden this expectation of being on video eight freaking hours a day. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So here's the problem. If you and I were on video right now, right now we're not on video. Thank God. Not, 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 not that either of us is not attractive. I think we're both very good looking people. But the <laughs> fact is, is I don't want to stare at you for an hour. And here's the reason why. It's if I were looking at you right now, you'd have a webcam pointing at yourself and I would see your face aiming straight at me. I would probably see your shoulders and maybe almost down to your solar plexus. I would be cut off from mm-hmm. your nonverbals. Mm-hmm. Think about when you're, let's think, let's say um, you ever go out with the, you ever go out with the girls and uh, grab some mimosas? Yes. Uh-huh. Now do you, now do you sit directly across from each other, staring directly at each other with your shoulders squared the whole time? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> do you even do you even face each other necessarily, or is it possible that if it was just you and one of your gal pals? You'd be sitting on either side of a table, actually, sort of facing out into the room, scoping the scene. Absolutely. <laughs> Yet occasionally, look over to each other, and what would you notice? You might not even look at each other in the eye. Mm-hmm. You may be looking at each other's bodies, and what I mean by that is posture, mm-hmm. uh, what you're doing with your arms and legs. Because these send nonverbal cues that facilitate the conversation. So let's say that your friend asked you a provocative question. You want to take a moment and think about it. Mm -hmm. What you're naturally going to do is you'll probably recline a bit in a chair. Mm -hmm. If your legs aren't crossed, you may cross them. Mm -hmm. And you may put your hands together and interlace your fingers and then tilt your head up a little bit. Yeah. The Zoom view does not let you see that. Nope. What it does is rather than give you a minute to think about it, it creates that instant agony of, oh no, Nadia is not speaking. Are, are we connected? Are you there? Did I lose you? <laughs> That's extremely tiring. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we were sitting next to each other, the nonverbals would be in place to facilitate that, oh, well, Nadia's thinking about this one for a second. Cool. I'll just hang out for a second Great. while she processes in her mind, but that's not available with these zoom views. Yeah. And to add to that, Adam, to add to that angst, right? Yeah. Add sales. (laughs) Now I'm in a sales conversation with someone inviting them to work with me. And I've just added this layer of angst. And I can tell you, um, that has probably been one of the biggest things I've disliked is that expectation that all sales conversations have to happen via Zoom. Because prior to that, I rarely, I, they were either in person or on the phone. Yeah. Um, See, on the phone, we can get by with just our voices. Mm-hmm. And it's actually easier for one of us to signal to the other through an audio only connection that we need a moment to pause mm-hmm. than it is through a head and shoulders straight on view. It also takes a lot of the pressure off as the salesperson, because now I don't, I feel when I'm having a sales conversation and I'm on the phone, I have the freedom to get up and move around and, you Uh know, stretch my legs. If I'm getting a little anxious, I can work out that nervous energy. 
Whereas in Zoom, I'm having to pay attention to my facial expressions or, you know, if I'm taking notes or I pause too long, like there's just so many different things that just add that layer of angst. And so I encourage people to actually be rebellious. So I, I, Uh anytime I can, I still have my sales conversations over the phone. All right. uh, Let's do a virtual, let's do a virtual fist bump on this one, because (laughs) I love, I love hearing this and it's good to know that I'm not alone. And I'm, and I'm not, and it's, yes, I don't think it has anything to do with being quote unquote shy or, or any lack of confidence per se, I believe. And I've had a lot of these conversations and more people believe what you and I are saying than come out and say it publicly that, yeah, this whole idea of having to sit in front of a webcam and, and be concerned about your posture all day and missing out on the nonverbals, particularly people who are in sales are much more likely to at least be surface level surface level educated on the power and value of nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. So they recognize that in video Zoom calls and Team Microsoft Teams and Skype and all that, that's missing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would be a lot less courageous about wanting to do it, particularly if it was my main <laughs> job and I was doing it eight hours a day. Oh my God. Can you imagine the horror? <laughs> It is interesting. So I was, um, one of the things that we've done is event sales. And obviously um, that a lot of that shifted to virtual. And I was, I was challenged for a while because I was just like, it took me a moment to really pinpoint why I was so agitated. (laughs) If I could be honest about having to be on and have these conversations. And like you said, it's some of these, it's conversation after conversation, after conversation, back to back to back. And I was just like, um, but I do this at a live event and I don't feel the same way. And I'm still the same introvert that I am, whether I'm on Zoom or if, if I'm actual right. in person. And it took me a moment. And just recently, I, it, it was the, it finally hit. It was the Zoom. It was like being stuck in this position you know, whether we're waiting or we're talking or whatever for days on end, I was like, like, I can't do it anymore. And that was it. It was just, I'm over the zoom part because in person, like you said, you have the nonverbals, you can get up and walk around. There's this whole thing around being able to engage in a different way. And you almost feel caged in being stuck on zoom, especially for those of us that do it. And you're having back-to-back conversations all the time. People make fun of news anchors, like let's say you the five o'clock news or the eleven o'clock news. They say, "Oh, well, how hard is that to sit behind a desk and read a script?" Okay, and I say, and I say, actually look into what they do to maintain that posture while they're sitting behind that anchor desk, which in twenty twenty two might be a, sc- a green screen effect. They may just be sitting in a chair somewhere in a blank room. Mm-hmm. So the, the desk might not even be there. This isn't 1983 anymore. Right. That's number one. And think about if you notice they're wearing those sport jackets. Mm-hmm. And notice how the jacket and the shoulders, everything seems to fit perfectly on them while they're se- seated. Mm-hmm. Why is it when you're wearing your jacket, it doesn't necessarily look right when you're seated? So you right. have an idea of what what goes into just making your jacket look like it fits correctly while you're seated. That's mm-hmm. the first, that's, that's piece number one. And then second, I challenge anybody to day after day for a concentrated period of time, read off a teleprompter, 
not only with no errors, but also to make it look, sound, and feel like they're speaking extemporaneously. Mm -hmm. And then you, and you do that for one week and you then tell me how they have an easy job and let's hear you not advocate for them to get a raise. Right. (laughs) Because it's hard. (laughs) And that's, and that's, that's the thing. Sales is not necessarily an easy thing. So part of it, I think has to do with what even motivates us to show up. So there's a couple Mm -hmm. things I know you wanted to cover, and I'm going to kind of merge these two things and uh, see if we can get you going here. So first of all, I'm going to ask a two-part question. It's how do you find your motivation and find your purpose? And then how do you bring this to fore so that you show up in the conversation, if you know what I mean by show up? Mm -hmm. One, I think, is really tapping into your big why, right? Like, cause there are days when you just don't want to do it. You're tired, you're exhausted, you're whatever. Um, and tapping into your big why, but then also because of the work that we get to do with our clients, I invite people to look at the change, the difference, because what's on the other side of that, that invitation, that conversation is the work that we get to do together And then the transformation that you get to provide in someone's life, their business, their family, you know, depending on the type of offer you have. And that is so rewarding. And so there are days when you have to look past where you are right now and look to that um, or even look at past wins to remind yourself that this is why I do this because of this massive impact that I have not only in the lives of my clients, but a lot of our work has a ripple effect on their families. And the people that they touch. And so it's really um, rewarding. And you have to remind yourself of that. Um, sometimes daily. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Um, bringing it to, oh, to the forefront is, it depends. I think that when you're first starting out, it's just sheer will. Because there are so many thoughts running through your mind, so many insecurities, so many doubts. And the longer you sit and wait and stew in that, the harder it gets. So I encourage people to just take action. Just do it. Pick up the phone, make the phone call, send the email, whatever it is that you need to do to just get into action. And once you get in action, stay in action. Like this continue that momentum because it's hard to get started again. Um, and I know a lot of it sometimes sounds cliche, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you've ever been in that place where you're like, I'm on fire because you're having those conversations and you get that sale and then you have another one and you get another win, uh-huh. you understand that ripple effect of just being in action and staying in momentum, especially when things are going well, because we also know the flip side of that is have a day of just no's, right? <laughs> oh, I've, 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 I've had a couple of, I've had a couple instances on that. Uh, I remember it was back in 2009, 2010, and mm-hmm. I was involved in a, in a partnership uh, of sorts. And I'm not going to get into too much of the details of why it seemed like all of our proposals were being declined. Actually, I'll give you the main reason is that, uh, is that my partner insisted on this whole kitchen sink approach to all the proposals. Oh my God. So for example, so for example, if, uh, if the prospect said, we have a company that'll actually implement all this stuff. We just need you to write it for us. I'm thinking, cool writing assignment, easy peasy. 
And my partner would insist on including, here's how much it would cost for us to edit your website for you to put this stuff in. It's like, no, no. They asked. <laughs> no. So I even went, so I'll, I'll, I'll come. So I'll skip ahead here. And I'll even tell you that after that partnership ended, I went back to some of those prospects who had declined us. And I said, by the way, and, uh, and, and I'm not working with them anymore. This is just me now. I'm just curious for my own education. And there's no pitch. And I'm just asking this question. Uh, why did you turn down our offer when we made it to you two years ago? And he said, oh, it's because I asked for something very specific. And you guys insisted on trying to put all this other stuff into the agreements. Wow. Like, duh. Okay. I knew that. And I was rebelling against it, but okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so before I had that epiphany moment, it was just one of those times where it seemed like, no, 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 no. And finally, I got to the point where I had heard one no too many. So I said, <laughs> the, hell, the hell with this. I just didn't even tell anybody where I was going. I just, I just logged off and went for a long walk down the park. Came back three hours later. And it turns out that one of those no's had decided, you know, on second thought, let's do it. And people had been trying to find me because I had the client's payment information on file. Wow. Okay. So I know that feeling. I also know what it feels like. And I'm a person who very rarely drinks to hear no so many times that I just say to hell with it. And I go get shit face drunk. <laughs> And I and I believe and I believe in showing your kintsugi, the uh, the cracks in your bowls. It's very important mm -hmm. to share that because it helps strengthen others, which is why I'm doing it. Everything I just shared with you goes back to one of my favorite maxims, which is that right before the breakthrough comes the breakdown. Mm -hmm. And when you have that breakdown, sometimes just dive in, go break down, go. Go walk out, walk out on your work and go play hooky for a day or get drunk or whatever you got to do. Yes. Because the sooner you get through that, that's whatever's inside you rising to fever level, level temperature where you're going to start burning through it. And when you have that burn, you're going to start to, you're going to start to process it really hard and you're going to have all those feelings very viscerally. And within those feelings, you're going to start having visions of people who have done you right, people who have done you wrong, the successes you've had, the failures you've had, but it's going to be in very sharp relief. And mm -hmm. somewhere within that cacophony is going to be the answer to your solution. Um, I, you know, what I, I told you earlier that I waited 14 months for somebody to be ready for me. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the times they said no, and this is when I was counting on them to say yes, because I really needed the money. Mm -hmm. They said no on me. And that's when I said, well, to hell with this. I'll, you know what? This is how it's going to be. I'll just go get drunk. Fuck the world. <laughs> right? So uh, <laughs> so I'm very happy to say that um, I then had a conversation with that same prospect a few weeks later. And I, I and they said, you know what? I really want to work with you, but I'm just not ready yet. And I said, I said you know what? I'm going to show you my long game. So let's make a plan to meet once a month and touch base until you say yes. Nice. And that's what we did. So uh, for a few months, I'd open the calls and I'd say, is this, is this the one where you asked me where to submit your credit card information? Or is this the one where you explained to me why you need another month because you've joined yet another program? And <laughs> would laugh and they'd give me the update. 
And then about after about four of these, they said, they just paused and they said, well, you know, we've been talking about this for a year now. I, I got, I got to do this. Uh, where do I sign? Wow. They turned out to be an awesome client. I love it. I love but, this story for so but see, many reasons. But see, but see, the fact that I allowed my I allowed myself to feel the frustration yes. and the anger from it, yes, allowed me that ability to process that some people, particularly when it comes to high ticket offers, and I have high ticket offers, mm-hmm. are just going to need time. Yes. And it could be that the person I'm speaking with is not actually my prospect. Mm-hmm. It could be the person they tell. Yep. So when I put those two things together, that's why when I got back, I had my next call with that person. I said, okay, you're not ready yet. Well, <laughs> I'm going to show you my long game. I love it. And I I've actually, it. and I've actually used that line several times uh, when I've done check-ins with people who say, yeah, I want to, it's just timing. I say, huh, you think you've seen long game? You ain't seen nothing yet, pal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And see, within and within that, I found some of my own courage, mm-hmm. and it taught me what I've known about dating, mating, and and selling mm-hmm. is always have lots of blips on your radar screen that are at different points of proximity from the center. Mm-hmm. If your your screen should never have no blips on it, and if it has a lot of blips but none of them are near the bullseye yet, keep working it. Yeah, but the thing is, keep cycling. And, uh, you know, you know how they say, uh, there's a debate over how true this is. I'm going to give it from the, um, from the heterosexual male perspective. They say that for heterosexual males like me, there's nothing more attractive than having a woman. There's nothing that attracts women more than when they sense there's already a woman around. Yeah. Well, in sales, the way I look at that is there's nothing more attractive to prospects than people feeling like you're already selling and how do you mm-hmm. make them feel like you're already selling? You keep working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also show up differently. Like when you have clients or like you said, even when you have your blips on the radar, then you don't, you tend to not show up desperate. Yeah. And that is a big difference. You are like, you, I need the money and, or I don't even have any other prospects, <laughs> right? Like this is the only call on my calendar for the entire week. Yeah. And you show up differently energetically and people can sense that. And it's just like, eh, I don't know. Um, and so, yeah, when you have clients and you are com- literally not attached to the outcome. Yeah. People are lining up or create a wait list. That'll definitely shift. Well, there, well, there, well, there, well, there it is. There it is, right there. It's um, it's it's all it's all in how you it's all in how you show up, and it's all in the vibe you put out there. If mm-hmm. you uh, if you feel like you're somebody who's closing, you feel like you're somebody who's making deals. Other people are going to have that same feeling. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the old school pieces of sales advice that so many folks have used is that whenever you walk into a sales meeting, particularly if it's a high, if it's a high end prospect, walk in with 
a wad of money in your pockets. So let's say, for example, you're 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 potentially looking to close a million dollar deal with a fifty million dollar client. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel a little bit different in the room if you have fifteen thousand dollars in cash in your pocket. Yes. <laughs> so if Very that's different. if that's all the money you have, take it out of the bank, put it in your pocket, and then redeposit it after the meeting. Yes. Just something about having that in your pocket is going to make you feel different. Oh, that is so good. That's true. That is one of the, the first time I heard that was from Bill Zanker, who's uh, the creator of uh, what was known as the Learning Annex. And mm-hmm. that when he was approaching some of these major names that he was looking to have speak at the events, he cleaned out his bank account and kept it all in cash in his pocket. And it just made him feel differently walking into these meetings. Wow. Wow. I love it. So for those of us that don't have $15,000, $500 will do whatever you have. Yes. It's sometimes these little things. Now going now going back again to this whole thing about the courage is let's say that despite all those things, despite you having $10,000 in your pocket when you have these conversations, despite avoiding Zoom video, despite uh Everything you've done to attempt to project neediness or desperation or what have you, and despite you feeling like you're on top of the world when you went into these calls, you just get a string of no's. Mm-hmm. That can be one of the most debilitating things of all. When you knew you weren't coming from a place of desperation, mm-hmm. but you're just having this feeling of WTF is going on here. Mm-hmm. How do you break out of that? Because I've seen people give up. You know, there are a couple different things. One is understand that it's part of the process, right? Like we talked a lot about mindset or, you know, just having those days when Mm -hmm. um, you're just not there, but it's also part of the process. Part of getting to the yes is going through the no's. Um, The other thing that I would then invite people to do is to start evaluating like the people you're talking. Are you talking to the right people? Because sometimes when you look at your marketing, you're talking to people that will never say yes. um, Right. Because you're talking to the wrong people. They're not the right fit. It's not the right price point. So you definitely want to take a look at that and evaluate it. But I think the biggest thing is just understanding that process. And I think sometimes, especially with social media, you hear all these people and they're just like, I did this one thing and I got this big result. And they never really tell you the full story or give you the full picture of the different no's and the times that they had to tweak it, the offer and optimizing, you know, the audience and how are you marketing and what, you know, is working best and how do you, many conversations do you have to have? And, and like you said, I love your example. I'm totally going to borrow that story. I will promise to give Adam credit, but it's just, because I think that there in our society is always, if I talk to Adam today, I need to close today. And I love your story of they said no. And it took 14 months and 14 conversations and multiple times of us touching, you know, touching base and you being consistent and not being moved. Even if you had a moment, you went, you got drunk, you did your thing, you came back, you didn't throw in a towel, you did what you had to do. And I think that that's an important lesson for all of us, because let me tell you, if you do this long enough, 
you're going to have those days, those months, those weeks where it feels like no one is saying yes. And you're just like, what is happening? Um, and you have to have the courage to have the difficult conversations, to, to do the work in your business, to look at all the different pieces that impact um, who you're talking to, how you're talking to them. How are you showing up? Is it, a, is it still a relevant offer? Um, you know, are you behind the times because things shift and we don't always keep up? There's so yeah. many things that impact that. And I think, you know, having the courage to say, I need a timeout, whether it's I need to go get a massage or a mani-pedi or I just need to go have drinks, <laughs> whatever yeah. that, whatever your self-care looks like. Um, and then be like, okay, let me go back in. Let's take a look at what's really going on and having those honest conversations. Um, about it because let me tell you you've been you've been doing this for a while you know you can do everything right and people will still say no right right I also think that there's a certain courage in being willing to go back to prospects that said no and ask them why now here's Mm -hmm. here's the thing I don't recommend don't try and have that conversation as soon as they say no Correct. <laughs> and, and you see, you get it. You get it because we're also conditioned as buyers that that is sometimes a sales tactic. They'll get us to speak candidly about why we turned down the offer so they can try and spin it into a sale. Mm-hmm. So when I did that, when I when I was, I mean, I thought I think I already knew the reason why all those proposals got turned down because people were asking for very specific stuff, but. Uh, we were forcing these kitchen sink type proposals on them. The fact that there was some distance between the offer and the conversation. And I was also able to say, look, look, I'm, I'm not part of that partnership. It's just me now. And I'm just asking, mm-hmm. create a different frame where legitimately I just wanted to know. Right. And then it was very easy for them at that point to say that. And, uh, at that point, I would caution people, if you're having those conversations, once they give you the answer, just say thank you. Yes. Now, if they initiate a conversation about, oh, so what is it that you do these days? Well, yeah, then have the conversation with them because maybe they're interested in working with you now. Who knows? But what I also, but what I also, when I cover this in my book, by the way, is from time to time, you've got to have conversations with prospects and with paying customers uh, that are not just about trying to get more money out of them. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, that we teach folks, particularly those who run membership programs, they have membership sites. Now, the thing about a membership site is no matter what technology you use or how, or how you think you've optimized things, a percentage of the people who sign up for your site are not going to get their username and password no matter what. Right. So I so I coach all my clients that have membership sites to do one very simple thing. Within within one business day of the purchase, regardless of whether or not the end clients properly set up their username and password, send that client an email saying, hey, just wanted to check in, make sure you're able to log into the site without any issues. Uh, just in case you need it, here's where you log in. Here's your username. Here's your password. If you could please just click reply real quick and confirm that you got it. In fact, just type the words received or got it. Mm-hmm. It'd be a big help. 
that's huge. Because mm-hmm. what it does is sets the frame that not every time you speak with that company, they're going to try and push something on you. Yes. And I think that's important. I also would add, don't go back and ask that question when you're still feeling very emotional about it. Right. Um, I've done that. I've gone back. I've had where we've done trainings and I had an invitation and I just knew, right, that this one person was going to say yes. And it was like, wait. And I've been able to go back. And like you said, from a place of just genuine interest, I'm not here to sell. I was really genuine. Like, what happened? And they were like, I didn't want that. Um, I was looking more for this and I was like, oh, well we have that. And then, you know, we were able to work together. Yeah. Um, so those have definitely happened where it's not that they don't want to work with you. They just didn't want that particular offer. Um, and so it was good to be able to go back and ask that question, but I had to get out of my feelings. It did, like you said, it did not happen that same day. Um, and it was just like, I'm really curious. Like, I'm surprised this person hasn't taken this action. And I reached out and she's like, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. And the this that she wanted to do was actually like double what the <laughs> one thing, right? So it wasn't even a, a lesser, a more inexpensive option either. So we both were pleasantly like, wait, okay, we could do that. Um, so I think, like you said, to really start to set that that tone that every time someone hears from you, it's not always because you're wanting to get their credit card information. Like there are times right. that you genuinely reach out because you're concerned or you want feedback or whatever the case may be. And I think it's important that we build that into our sales processes. Right. And what's also really cool about that tactic is it gives, it, it makes the person who signed up and became a member of that membership site feel like they have a personal connection with somebody in in the organization mm-hmm. without having to endure yet another Hi, my name my name is Nadia. I'll be your concierge. Just know that I'm here if you have any questions. Yes. Okay, that's all well and good. But then when they do have a question, they they forget who Nadia is. But they'll remember that somebody checked in with them to make sure they had the username and password. Yep. That is so good. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the thing is, you apply it across the board with everybody, regardless of whether they got it right or wrong. And if the, and if you see that an order came through, but you check the membership site and you see that there's no user account created, you create it for them and then send them the login information. You don't say, oh, I see your account wasn't created. Uh, click here and do it. No, 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 no. You want to make it so easy for them to sign in because what you want is that reply that says, got it. Yep. That's what you want. Now, I think you build some of that into your communications with your prospects, your clients, your customers, your purchasers, and that can build courage over time because you just get used to the idea that the people you do business with, it's not an adversarial thing. Right. In fact, why why would you want to engage in business transactions with somebody where it's an adversarial type of thing? I have no idea. That is why when, especially with people like coaches, where you're going, I'm going to work closely with you for a set period of time. A lot of times, at least a year. And we just had this extremely uncomfortable, combative, adversarial sales conversation and process. Why? Like, why would you want people to enter into that working relationship if they choose to say yes, or they felt 
beat down and said yes. Um, why would you want that for your company and for your client experience? Like it continues to boggle my mind. And then on top of it, like you said, like some of these offers are, you could buy a car for that investment. Like seriously. So you want me to make this investment to work with you for this amount of time. And I'm not even sure I like you at this point because of this Mm -hmm. combative relationship we now have started (laughs) off with versus making a different choice. And I think that that's also important that we look at our process and what that feels like for our buyers, because we want that relationship. It's so much easier to get someone to renew and stick around when they've had a great experience. But all of that starts, it doesn't start when they say yes, and they sign the agreement and they get the welcome email. That starts in the sales process when you're having those conversations before they actually give you their credit card. And if that is off, then that whole relationship is, is off to a bad start. Okay, Nadia, forget everything I just said if you ever get into car sales in Las Vegas. But okay. um, I, I'm remembering about, maybe this is about five years ago. There's somebody I met at a seminar once, and I have kept in touch with him. And he got to the point in his business and his life where he could afford his dream car. Uh, it was a, it was, I, I don't remember the exact year and what have you, but I know it was a blue Mustang. And he went and he bought the car. So folks began asking him what kind of deal he made or how did he negotiate the deal? And he said, well, they wanted $25,000 for the car. So I gave him $25,000. Wow. And his way of explaining that is if I'm going to expect people to pay my full price, mm-hmm. why would I haggle with others? Ooh, that's so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the way I look at it is uh, I'm not necessarily looking to haggle a lot over the price of my vehicle, but I do uh, look for ways to, you know, potentially to make the deal a little bit better. A couple years ago, my lease was up and I needed to take my vehicle in and, and I decided I was going to turn it in. I was going to lease another car. Well, the car I was turning in had a couple things on it and uh, it was, you know, it wasn't like, dramatic but it was probably a little bit above my damage allowance mm-hmm. so uh we got to the part where i was in this i was in this i was in a turn in the other car and uh they showed me what the uh what the rate would be to lease the new car and all that and i said uh, tell you what um is there any chance that when i turn this other one in i could just sign a piece of paper that says i don't owe you anything and it's just done and you don't come back to me later for damages and nice. they were willing to do that. Oh, that is so sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and I think the way I phrase this, you know, after, after today, I don't want to think about this other car anymore. So can we just, uh, can we just do like an all in thing? So I'll never hear from you again on the other car. I'll sign, I'll sign this paperwork. If you, uh, if you give me that, so I don't have to be on pins and needles. And I said, sure. Love it. Now they probably positioned their pricing in such mm-hmm. a way on the lease of the new vehicle so that they could offer that to me. Yeah, of course. So I, I don't think they were stupid at all. And for what I'm paying on the lease on this new vehicle, I'm positive they did that. And when you think about that, it's actually kind of easier for them to just know that, uh, you know, just assume you're going to eat a little bit of damage on every lease that gets turned in because cars mm-hmm. get dinged up and such all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
just add it, just add it to the price of the next vehicle. And uh, you'll, you'll win on a few and lose on a few, but in the end, everything pretty much balances out. Yeah. That's smart. And I wonder, and I wonder if we thought about our pricing like that, what that would do for our, for our courage and our confidence when it comes to sales, knowing that uh, we're not going to lose money on any given deal. Yes. Knowing that, it, know, knowing that it will all balance out. So there may be one or two deals where you're slightly upside down, but you're going to be way ahead on others. And in the mm-hmm. end, it all balances out. As long, mm-hmm. as, the, as long as the end purchaser feels like they got full value for their money. Yep. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And I think, you know, it goes back to part of what we talked about earlier too. <coughs> and even understanding your numbers. Um, so that you can come up with a great investment amount so that you don't have that doubt, like, am I charging enough or what about, like, you don't even go into your sales conversations. You know that this is going to be a win-win. Your company wins and your clients win and everyone is happy. Yeah, absolutely. So we're actually pretty much at the top of our time here. And before we go, I do want to, uh, I do want to point things to you one more time, Nadia. I do want to encourage everybody to visit your website. It's w. It's uh, it's uh, the website is the the doyenagency.com. That's t h e d o y e n n e a g e n c y dot com. So, uh, what do people have to look forward to when they reach out to you, and uh, how how do they engage with you? Oh my gosh. So we share a lot of tips and strategies and trainings on how to have courageous sales conversations. Um, And then we also, for some of our clients, we support them in doing done for you sales support. So depending on where you are, we can help with that. And um, we have a quiz if you want to learn more about your sales persona and maybe some of the blind spots associated with that, you can head over to discoveryoursalesblindspot.com, take the quiz and learn more. Say that URL again. I missed the last part. It's discoveryoursalesblindspot.com. Discoveryoursalesblindspot.com. I wanted to say that real slow for our listeners. (laughs) All right. So, so, so Dr. Nadia Brown, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.